0: All right. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? Good. Good. Got a couple. whoop. I appreciate that. All right. Hey, we're uh, continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer this morning. Uh, if this is the first time here, we've been walking through each petition, each line of the Lord's Prayer. And today we're looking at the last one, the last petition, which is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what we're going to do, we're going to start out by reading the Lord's Prayer and then diving into uh, this passage. So read with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said... Amen. Awesome. All right. So what we're going to be looking at this morning is, what does it mean to pray this prayer? It's a helpful question we've been looking at with each petition. And I got news for us this morning. Praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's not not just a formality. Right, church? it's It's not just a statement of fact. We're making a request. And we need to understand that. That, that, that who we're speaking to has the power to intervene into our lives and change us from the inside out. It's a request with a desired response. That's what you do when you, when you go to God in prayer. In this prayer in particular, you're asking him, Lord, to, to lead you and to deliver you from evil. And I'd say there's three aspects to this prayer. One, I would say it's a prayer of absolute surrender, where if we're praying the Lord's Prayer, we're saying it's all about your name, Lord. Your will, your kingdom, it's not about me anymore, but then you have a humble recognition that we're, 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 we need to be led and delivered because we are prone to wander. And lastly, uh, what we're really going to be honing in on is that this prayer is a prayer of divine intervention, about putting our faith and our trust in our good shepherd who has promised in his word to lead us and to de- deliver us. And that's why we pray. And so the big idea of my talk this morning, uh, I don't have too much time here. Jeff only gave me an hour and a half to speak. Um, so but the big idea uh, this morning is this, is, is where, church today, where is your confidence against sin and temptation and evil in your life? Because it's really easy for us, it'd be really easy for us to leave here uh, with, with seven highly effect, effective steps of, of how I'm just going to deliver myself and, and, and free myself from, from temptation and, and all the things that are plaguing my heart. And that's the wrong mindset. That's not the mindset of a Christian. See, a Christian recognizes that, that, that what Scripture says is we're sheep in need of a shepherd, and Jesus Christ is that shepherd who, uh, out of his love for us, has laid down his life for his sheep. And so the bottom line is if our confidence is in ourselves, we won't pray this prayer. Like if our confidence is just, hey, I'm smart, I'll figure this out, I can, I can control this, I can deliver myself, we're not going to pray. And so therefore, we're just living like practical atheists. Because atheists feel no need to pray because God doesn't exist. But how often do we in the Christian life live that way as well? But if our confidence is in the Lord and he is our only hope against sin and being delivered from, from temptation and evil, then you better believe we're going to pray our lungs out. And we're going to pray this prayer fervently from the moment we wake up, knowing, knowing the voices that are calling our name, that aren't the voice of our shepherd, calling to lead us astray. We're going to say, Lord, lead us not intense temptation, and deliver us from evil. And uh, Paul Miller wrote this awesome book called A Praying Life. I highly recommend it. It, is, it is, is a remarkable book. If you haven't gotten it yet, read that bad boy. It is amazing. And what Paul Miller says is that prayer is helplessness. He says prayer is helplessness. And if it, if, 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 what he means there is that if you're not helpless, if you, if you got it all figured out, you're not gonna pray. And sadly, that's the way you and I tend to live is we have a deistic view of God. He's not interested. He doesn't care, and, and he won't intervene. Everything he accomplished for me is in the past, which, which yeah, that's true on the, through Christ's death and resurrection. That's a past reality. But he's, he's also given us present promises, present promises to, to daily lead us, to daily deliver us. That's our only hope, guys. That's our only shot when it comes to evil. And to, We are powerless. We give ourselves far too much credit, far too much credit. So with that said, let me pray, and then we're going to dive in here. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we, are, we thank you, God, that you are a God who saves. You are a God who rescues. You are a God who delivers. You are our hope. We thank you, God, that we can say the Lord, Yahweh, the divine, is my shepherd, who's for me, who provides for me, who protects me from the wolves who are, who are howling outside my door and are seeking to devour me on a daily basis, Lord. Thank you that you're the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. So we're here today because of you and who you are, Father. You are our hope. You are our confidence. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you come in power. Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase, and we leave here knowing that our only shot, our only hope is you, and you are a sure foundation. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, uh, two points on my talk, really easy uh, this morning for the sake of time. One is the first point is we need to be led. That's the presupposition of praying this prayer. When we're asking someone to lead us, we're admitting, you guys recognize this, we're admitting we need to be led, right? Like, and we're admitting too that God is a God who leads. And so uh, if you're like me, um, here's the deal. I do not like, um, one, I don't like being a passenger in a car, I like driving. And two, I don't like people telling me how to drive. I don't say preach. Yeah, yeah, and so so much so, now, now some of you some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I hope some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You pull out, so, so if we're on a road trip or something and I don't know where I'm going, I'll bust out Google Maps, right? But you better believe I'm not turning on the turn-by-turn direction. No, right? Amen, I got one, okay. Okay, I don't need someone telling me in 200 yards, take a right on this. Ex- and I'm like, okay, thanks. You just said that. Now I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to go a different way and turn you up, right? <laughs> Joe's right there with me. And uh, why is that? Why is it? Because I'm, I'm, I'm proud, right? And I, and I think, oh, you know what? Just, hey, just give me the map and I'll figure this out. Why? Because I know what's best. I'm not going to listen to a robot tell me where to go. I'm not going to, no, no, no. I, I don't need a turn by turn. I know the best way. Just give me. Just give me the formula. Give me the, the map. God, I don't I don't need you. Just just give me just give me give me the give me uh you know the map the Google Maps. I don't want I don't want to hear your voice. You say your sheep know um your voice. I don't I don't need your voice. I just need uh, your 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 seven highly effective steps to to a, a safe and healthy and, and your best life now type of lifestyle. Devoid of a relationship with you. And so I think that's the crux of the issue, is that we have to trust that God knows what's best. And so, in my journey in life, after graduating, my calling into ministry—the only reason I'm standing up here, in front of you today—is because God said, "Hey, Nick, upon graduating college, you're going to take a right turn and enter into youth ministry." And I was like, "Wait, excuse me? Wait, wait—that wasn't no, no, no. I, that was not my trajectory. I, I never once imagined being in ministry. I had a whole, I had my whole life planned out. But the Lord said, "Hey, you—you you go right." And it, my shepherd—he calls the shots. And by his grace, he, he led me to where I am today. And it's been, it's been awesome. But anyways, this is what I'm getting at. William Willimon, is, uh, he has a really good commentary on the Lord's Prayer. And he says this, I love this. He says, we have no idea of how to live until we first know who God is. See, once we understand who God is, then we know who we are. And the mega theme in scripture is that God is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And what does that mean for you and me? I Means the Bible says we're sheep. Paul says, hey, I don't care how big your biceps are. I don't care how awesome your resume is, how much you've accomplished. You're a sheep. You're a little lamb who's powerless over sin and evil and temptation. You recognize being a Christian, you're, you're admitting that. Because we nullify the cross if we think we got this whole sin thing figured out. It's all the work of Christ from day one. Why do we think, okay, day one I become a Christian, it's all Christ's work, and now it's all up to me, Right? No, God daily leads and guides and delivers us from evil and temptation. And I think, uh, you know, scripture, there's just a mega theme that God is our shepherd. And I think we have a really, so we just have a really bad view of shepherds in our mind because because we don't understand what that meant in the ancient Near Eastern culture. So I think if you've seen the photos of Jesus uh, as as a shepherd, you've seen him in like like just a freshly bleached robe, right? (laughs) Covered in cute, cuddly little... Kittens and lambs that are just not dirty at all. And he's got this, I mean, beautifully permed, like, hockey mullet thing going on. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, that's what we've seen. And that is, that is so, so wrong. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, the view of a shepherd was synonymous with being a king. Being a king, being a, a ruler, being one who leads and guides and protects. In extra-biblical literature in the Kota Hammurabi, uh, uh, the, the great king says, uh, he introduces himself to his, his vassals, and he says, I am your king, but I am your shepherd. I am your shepherd. And so uh, uh, in, in Scripture, we see that mega Y'all know Psalm 23, for the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He is Lord, he is holy other, and yet he is my Abba, my father, my shepherd. I will not want, he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil. Why? Because his rod and his staff comfort me. You know what a rod was in ancient Near Eastern culture? A shepherd would carry around basically a Louisville slugger, a baseball bat. Why would he do that? Because there's wolves that are attacking his sheep. So that shepherd would go and he, t- the reason we can walk through the valley of the shadow of the death is because we've got a shepherd who's with us and he's got a, he's got a rod of protection for us. And he's also got a staff, that walking stick with a long hook. And so when the sheep are, are wandering straight into the mouth of the beast, he grabs them by the neck and says, hey, no, no, no. That's the path that leads to death. Let me lead you on the path of righteousness. I got news for you. He, he is a good shepherd. He leads us in the path that, uh, of righteousness, which often is the least convenient path. Not the easiest path to walk on. And we see the, the heart of our father in Psalm 23. when he says, uh, uh, when the Psalm says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. Listen, my cup overflows. That's what it's like to know the good shepherd. Your cup overflows. And then I love this last part. It says, surely, I'm convinced of this. Surely, goodness, surely mercy will follow me. That word follow in the Hebrew is a pursuing, is a chasing, is a hounding. Goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is our shepherd, Psalm 23. And so in John 10, which we're going to be looking at this morning, John 10 um, jesus calls dibs on psalm 23 he says psalm 23 is about me he's saying i am lord i am god i am the divine and i am your shepherd john 10 uh verses uh we to look at verses 10 through 15 and then 27 through 29 the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy i come that they may have life and have it abundantly i am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not know the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now skipping ahead, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, don't you love this last part? This is such a good comfort. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Boom. Ah, it's so good. So there's two truths I want to uh, point out here in this passage that Christ teaches. Uh, We're going to kind of gloss over this. But the first truth is this, is the amazing truth, the awesome truth that Jesus Christ is our shepherd. That we are not sheep without a shepherd walking aimlessly in life, but we have a good shepherd. And and what's cool here is that, you know, Christ talks about other shepherds here who leave their sheep at the first sign of danger. And the sheep are over there in the distance, and they're being, you know, attacked by by the enemy. And he says, okay, uh, you guys figure it out. I want to make sure, you know, I don't get all messy by trying to protect you guys or get hurt. No, that's not the view uh, of the shepherd that, that Jesus gives here, but tragically, that's our view of God. Often, when we're in the trenches of sin and temptation and, when, and, and the chains of, of addiction and bondage, we, say, we, th- we think our, our shepherd's off in the distance and say, It's up to you to figure this out. You have to be a chain breaker. You have to deliver yourself. You have to figure that out. And that's not what Christ says. That's not what he says. He says, I'm not sitting off in the distance. Jesus says, I laid down my life for my sheep. I know my sheep. I love my sheep. I protect them. And so instead of that, that kind of uh, that view of a shepherd that I shared earlier, our shepherd's got scars on his hands from beating away wolves that are attacking his sheep. See, our shepherd's robe is covered in, in, in dirt and sweat and blood, tending to his sheep, healing their wounds. He's intimately involved. He knows his sheep. And he's got broad shoulders because when his sheep can't walk anymore, they can't take another step. What does that shepherd do? Man, he scoops them up and he throws them over his shoulder and brings them back to the fold to God. That's our shepherd. That's what Christ does. And shepherding was no joke. It was hard work. And what a shepherd did was he fought for his sheep. He was the one who fought. He was the one who provided. He was the one who protected. The sheep's only confidence and hope Against okay, so what what chance does a sheep have against a wolf? Zero chance. And how how silly of us. When we, when we, when we uh, you know puff our chests out and like, I got this, I'm gonna go free myself, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go lead myself, and I'm gonna It's like, no, you're a sheep. You gotta humble yourself, you gotta go to your shepherd. He's your only hope, he's the only chance you got. And he says at the end of this, I love it, he says, No one is going to snatch them from my father's hands and we have to do we believe this church do we believe that 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 christ cares enough to know you and that our shepherd is a speaking shepherd it's easy for us to miss our shepherd is a personal shepherd he says he says my sheep know what my voice what does that imply he's he's calling us he's speaking to us he's he's pursuing us shepherd knows us he cares about us Do you believe this? And if we believe this, we'll pray to him. And we'll say, shepherd, would you lead me? I'm prone to wander in temptation. I'm prone to jump into raging waters and drown. Would you lead me beside still waters today? And there's another alarming truth in this passage. The first truth is we have a good shepherd. The second truth is uh, that there's a thief that exists. I think we also gloss over this point. We think, we think life is all that in a bag of chips, and there's you know we're not at war. There's not a battle going on. But with uh, the words of Jesus Christ, He says here. He says in John ten, li- listen, listen. The thief, there's a thief out there who wants to steal you, who wants to kill you, who wants to destroy you. But I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The shepherd's heart is abundant life. The thief's heart is is destroying your life. And it's so interesting here, talking about, and, and then too, you have this image of, of, of the shepherd holding on to the sheep, but he's saying there's someone trying to snatch the sheep away from the shepherd's hand. There's someone trying to snatch you. Someone trying to steal you away from the fold of God. Uh, I heard, uh, had the awesome uh, 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 privilege of going to Acts 2 9 conference, and one of the pastors there talked about how the enemy, Satan, wants to adopt you. It's terrifying. Terrifying. Your father has adopted us as sons and daughters. But there's someone out there who wants to literally steal us and adopt us back into the kingdom of darkness. There's a war going on. And uh, what the enemy does is, you know, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, seeking someone to devour. And the way he does it, and you all know this, man, because uh, each and every one of us here, uh, unless we're not honest with ourselves, daily faced with temptation. What the, what the enemy does is he, he, he mimics, he models the voice of the shepherd through whatever it is, whatever, whatever, whatever that is that's continually pulling us to, to step out of our, our shepherd's care. The enemy mimics that voice and says, come to me. You want rest? You want joy? You want life abundantly? Click here. Sip this. Take this, and you'll find life, life abundantly, life everlasting. See, he mimics that voice, and that's what temptation is, right? It's, it's 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 the promise of life with the result of death. Promise of life everlasting. That's why we're so hooked, man. But at the same time, there's a voice this morning calling out to us. If we're in the thick of it this morning, there's a voice calling out to us, saying, "You want life and life abundantly? I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere." As you've, been, as you've been running from me, I'm locked in step behind you. Whenever you're ready to stop running and surrender, I'm right here for you. Ready to scoop you up and bring you back home. My sheep know my voice. And, and, and so what, that's what temptation is, the voice of the enemy wooing us and calling us. And if you all hear you've been fishing, basically what you're doing is, is you're, just, you're just tempting fish right? What are you doing when you fish? Like I've been, I've been fishing with some people before, some crazy, you know, like uh, crazy fishermen. They got all their, they got like a box, like a, you know, a box this high of lures, you know, for each fish. And like, oh, this is for the, you know, the, the, the white bellied, you know, smoke bass or whatever. I don't know. I don't fish clearly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, and they pull out this lure and what's the lure do? It's shiny. Ooh, fish, look at this. And then they douse it in some type of scent, and they throw that in the lake, and all they're doing at the end of that pole is someone who wants to literally kill that fish and eat it and put it in a frying pan. But that fish is like, oh, this is where life is. Look at this. Look at this. My family's over here. My kids are over here. This is the path of righteousness, but this looks like a lot of fun. This is really shiny. I'm going to bite into this. That's what temptation is. At 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 the end of temptation is the enemy holding a fishing pole and ready and ready to, to place you in a frying pan, to kill you, to destroy you, to take you from everything that you care most about. And so this morning, man, what is that for you? What's the enemy putting on that fish hook, on that lure? What, what's he using? Do you realize you don't have any power over that? And do you realize, I know for a fact that there's a lot of us here who have bitten into that hook, and we think we have control, and we're swimming with everything we got. Everything we got, man. That line is pulling us, and we're giving it everything we got. You ever hook a fish? It gives everything it's got, and all it does is it tire itself out, and it's an exercise in futility. Once it's hooked, the only hope that, thing, that the thing has is someone comes and breaks the line. It has no power in itself to unhook that. And there's a lot of us here. We're hooked. Sin has got us. We're, we're, we're about to be cooked. We're toast. And we think, oh, if I just have more effort, if I just swim against the pull of this line that's pulling me, I'm gonna break it, I'm gonna break free. And you've been doing that your entire life and I got news for you, it's not working. That's not your confidence. Our only confidence can be vertical. That's when we throw our hands up and surrender, we stop swimming and we say, holy smokes, Lord, if you don't intervene, I'm toast. Would you step in? Would you deliver me from evil? Would you keep me from temptation? That's our only shot, guys. That's our only shot. And quick disclaimer, James one thirteen says this. Let no one who says when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is being tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives, uh, brings forth death. Whenever God tests us for our good, Satan tries to exploit the situation for our ruin. In the Lord's Prayer, when we say, God, don't lead us into temptation. The Greek word there for test and temptation are the same. Uh, uh, God gives us a test for our good, to bring life and life abundantly, to, to, to make us more like him, to, to give us more joy in, in, in a holy and, and, and shame-free and guilt-free uh, life, abundant life. But, but at, the, at the other end of the, that spectrum is the enemy who tries to exploit that situation and cause you to be tempted, bite the hook, and, and to die and to leave the fool to God. And this is what J.I. Packer says. I love this. He says, knowledge, J.I. Packer, if you guys get a chance, buy everything he's ever written and just read that. Uh, knowledge of our own proven weakness, thick-headedness, and all-around vulnerability in spiritual matters and of the skill with which Satan exploits our strong and weak points alike, mixing frontal assaults on our Christian integrity with tactics of infiltration and ambush, so that while avoiding one hazard... We constantly fall victim to another. It compels us to cry, to cry out. And he says, in humility. You guys catch that? In humility. And I love this. And, and in self distrust. You guys have, you guys trust yourselves. Knowledge of our own proven weakness should cause a healthy self distrust. So much so that we're willing to, to, to offer, to, to ask those in the body of Christ, hey, would you speak into my life? Hey, would we meet up and could I share with you some things? I need, I don't have a healthy trust of myself. I need God to lead in God and I need, the, I need the church. I need the community to help me in that. Self-distrust to pray this. Lord, if possible, please, no temptation. I don't want to risk, listen, I don't want to risk damaging myself and dishonoring you by following. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer is hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And so what our prayers look like at this last petition is, Lord, I'm tempted to not live for that end. I'm tempted to not live for that end at all on a daily basis. So I say, for your name's sake, oh Lord, for your name's sake, oh Lord, keep me from that hook. Keep me from even seeing it. So I want to damage myself, everyone I care about, and damage your name. So application, uh, uh, what, what, what in the world is your confidence in fighting this, right? like, Look, like if, if, if you have kids and somebody uh, uh, steps into your house, you have an intruder in your house, do you tell the kids, hey, figure it out, kids. Hey, you got this. Here's, here's five tips on how to fight temptation and get this, this crazy guy at your house. So uh, a couple years ago, my, my sister and brother-in-law had a, a drunk intruder come into their home. And they live in the uh, downstairs and all the kids are upstairs. And that guy wandered up and got into their daughter's bed. By God's grace, the kids weren't home that night. They were with Grandma and Grandpa. But what Jeremy did, he they get woken up like, holy smoke, someone's inside of our house. Jeremy gets up, grabs the dude by the throat, which is awesome, and chucks him out of his house like a boss. It's awesome. And uh, keeps him there until the cops come. And I think, I think he was talking to the cops when he said this line. He said to the cops, he said, this would have turned out a lot differently if my kids were home. This scenario this guy just getting some some rug burn on his neck or maybe his head for me dragging him out of my house would look a whole lot differently if my kids were home that's the heart of your father your father fights for you he doesn't sit back in the basement and say okay figure it out you got some enemies hope you guys got this no he marches upstairs with a rod and a staff and he goes to work that's our hope that's our confidence that's what a shepherd does that's what a shepherd does Historically and in scripture, he fights for a sheep. He protects a sheep. That's your only chance. And there's things today that you have been trying to get off of you, to, to get away from you, and you can't do it. And it's time you surrender and say, Man, shepherd, Jesus Christ, would you come and would you take care of this? I have no control over this. And so, secondly, oh, we got to keep moving on here. Um, we need to be delivered. And sorry, I got I to add this one. This is so good. I had a mentor tell me this uh, about a, a year ago. He's an awesome friend of mine. But he said, listen, Nick, you got to remember this. In life, it's never a matter of what it is. It's a matter of who he is. Boom. Oh, why? What? what did you say? It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. What matters is who does my God say he is? Who has he promised to be for me? See, we, in the reform camp, we're, we're name it and proclaim it, people. We just don't name and proclaim private, personal jets. We name it and proclaim the promises that God has given us in His Word. That's what we do. It's God, this is who you said you'd be your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Lord, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. You're my only hope. Would you come? Would you rescue me? That's what He's done for us already, and He's promising to do it to us again this morning. And for our, 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 our the rest of our lives. So, what is evil? The second petition is, is is this, and my second point is this: is that we need to be delivered. Matthew six thirteen, but deliver us from evil. Well, one, uh, uh, I could spend I could spend a whole other talk on this. Um, but one, we, we recognize that evil exists. Evil exists. We recognize that we lock our doors at night. We lock our cars. We recognize that, but. But listen, evil does not exist independently. Evil only exists if good exists. Because evil is parasitic at its core. It latches on to what is already good and it perverts it, it distorts it and wreaks havoc. It wreaks havoc, and we see that in the Genesis account, Genesis 3, the fall of man, sin enters the cosmos, enters the world. Genesis 4 happens and the hands the hands that were created originally good and God, uh, uh, pre-fall, gave the command to humanity, hey, cultivate the land. Wherever you go, wherever humanity goes that's made in my image, cause life to flourish. Cultivate the ground, be fruitful, be, be, uh, multiply, right? And then in Genesis 4, it happens the same hands that were used to cultivate the earth and, and bless humanity by ushering in the presence of God wherever they were. The same hands that Cain uses to murder his brother. And then the voice that he is to, to talk to and commune with his shepherd he talks back to him. The Lord calls Cain out for murdering his brother, and Cain goes, am I my brother's keeper? Abandoning responsibility. See, evil distorts what is good, and uh, this is the way J.I. Packer defines it. Evil means badness that has the effect of ruining, wasting, ruling out goodness. That is the achieving of a life that is upright, worthwhile, and joyful. It's so funny when people talk about this is evil, this is evil, this is evil, but they don't believe in an objective moral law. Because listen, evil can't exist. Evil can't exist if good doesn't exist. And how do you determine what is right or wrong? Well, you need a, a moral law to decide what is good, what is evil. And, and if you, you, you uh, posit an objective moral law, the way Ravi Zacharias puts it, is you have to posit an objective moral law giver, God. So if evil exists, good exists. If good and evil exist, an objective moral law exists. If an objective moral law exists, which we know intrinsically in our hearts, then, then it's gotta be God. He exists. And uh, helpful clarification and important clarification before I wrap up here is this. It's the external evil versus the internal evil. So I think a lot of us here, we all recognize external evil exists. It's all evil out there, right? Evil in the news, and, and, and we should pray to be delivered from. Them. I mean, this morning with tears in my eyes, dropping on my keyboard or my laptop as I'm reading about what happened in Florida. And I'm seeing kids with their hands in the air, their hands shaking in the air, thinking they've just seen their, their, their friends killed. And they think that's the last day that they're going to survive. And, I, and I'm just crying out. I'm saying, Lord, would you deliver this land from evil? There's evil in this land. I said, I said Lord, heal this land. We are a mess, Lord, and you're our only shot. Your only hope, deliver us, Lord, deliver us from evil. It's a corporate prayer. We should be praying for the church, praying for our nation. Yes, evil exists externally. But if we believe that it only exists outside of us, this prayer of, Lord, deliver us from evil, can easily become a prayer of self-righteousness. Lord, keep me from all those bad people out there who aren't like me because I'm good. Keep me away from those difficult people because I'm good. And we see the exact opposite of that in the Gospels, when Jesus was hanging out with all the, the bad people. Our social circle should look like Christ. Prostitutes, tax collectors, criminals, that's who he hung out with. And all the Pharisees stood back and said, those are, why does Christ hang out with those evil people? Not like us. Easily can become prayer self-righteous. However, unless we recognize that there's still internal evil, there's still indwelling sin in our hearts. That is what our greatest threat is, church. That is what our greatest threat, the greatest threat to your life and everything you care most about exists right here and not out there. Listen, if this goes unchecked, you're toast. We're toast. Apart from God's sanctifying work of our hearts, his, his, his regenerating of our hearts of stone and turning them into hearts of flesh, we're toast. And as I've been uh, uh, writing a paper. I have to write a paper to graduate. I'm writing it on biblical manhood and I came across this quote. I love this. He says, masculinity... And this applies to both men and women, uh, by the way, across the board. He says, masculinity is about taking responsibility for the physical, emotional, and spiritual safety of those in your heart. This is the point I'm getting at. Most importantly, it means killing the dragon that lurks in my own heart. The greatest threat to those in my care is my own sin and rebellion. Therefore, protecting others demands a single-minded and glad-hearted pursuit of holiness. Boom, that is solid truth right there. That is gold, and I think for a lot of us, just speaking to the, to the men uh, uh, who want to uh, innate within us, want to protect, want to provide, and so what do we do for our families? We stockpile ammo and, and, and buy things to protect our family and, and work on our survival skills and all that stuff. When your family needs you to start to go into war on your heart, that's what your family needs, And stop declaring war on all these people out here before you need to start declaring war here. And, and, and if you say, oh, well, I don't agree with this. This is offensive. How would you say that? Whatever. I'm just, read the Sermon on the Mount, a chapter before the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 5. We're in Matthew 6 this morning. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if any of you has, uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. If any, if any of you just simply looks at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart, in your heart, your heart needs to work. Your heart needs, and then, and then what does Jesus prescribe to those listening? He says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. And he's not telling us to walk around like a bunch of pirates with an eye patch and one leg, but what he's saying there is the person you need to wage war on is yourself. Because you are the greatest threat to yourself and those you care most about. And our only hope is that we need deliverance, we need salvation, we need regeneration, we need new hearts, new minds. And that's, that's only, that's, that's, that's what God provides. Only, that's, that's his work. We don't do that. John seven thirty seven. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out, listen to this, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Oh man, talking about the Spirit's work in your life. Man, he's at a party. Everyone's drinking. And he's not asking everyone if they want refills. He's not standing at the keg and saying, anyone hey, want a refill company? He's saying, he's saying you, want, you want true water? You want living water? You want uh, living water flowing from, from that, that, that evil heart of yours? You come to me. That's your only hope. That's your only chance. So I'm going to conclude with this. Got to wrap up here. Um, if you knew me when I was in college, you knew that uh, I lived in a, a, uh, a five-bedroom uh, house with like 10 dudes in my junior and senior year of college. And one of my roommates had a dog. The dog's name was Chewy. He was a miniature schnauzer. Who had a Napoleon complex and he growled at me 24/7. He just hated me. We weren't like buds. Everything dogs should do outside, he would always do inside, and uh, we just didn't see eye to eye. Well, one winter break over college, I was left dog sitting him. All of my roommates were were out of town. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to my family's cabin with with Chewy, and we're gonna we're gonna make this relationship right. And so he hops in the jeep. We go. We head west to about two hours in the Shenandoah Valley to my family's cabin, and it was freezing. A, a fresh snow. Just happened. There was a little dusting all over the forest. The wind was whipping. But that night, we got there Friday night, and I got a fire made, and I'm lying there on my back, and I uh, got a good book in my hands. And all of a sudden, Chewy hops on my my chest, curls up in a ball, and falls asleep on my chest. It was adorable. Started snoring too, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, we're friends now. This is amazing. I used to not like you at all." And uh, and so we had everything there. We had warmth. We had fellowship. He had protection and provision. The next morning, rolls around. He's at the door, and he's got to do what dogs do. So I, let, I open the door. I, I just crack it open. It's like Mount Everest comes into the house, and I'm like, get out. And so he goes. He gets out of the house, and I'm like, it's so cold out there. He'll be back in two seconds. So I wait like a minute or two, and uh, I'm doing my thing, probably you know putting coffee on the whatever, and then uh, I, go, I go back, and I call for him. He's not there okay, maybe, you know, I don't want to interrupt him. Maybe he's still doing this thing. I wait a couple more minutes. I go back, and I'm, I'm calling. I'm Call him. He knows my voice, but he's not coming back. And I, and I had this, 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 this reality of, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this dog ran away, and there's nothing but woods all around me. Um, and I thought to myself, like this, I thought to myself, why would he want to leave? He's got everything he could ever want, right? Like, I'm pretty cool. We, we bonded. We had a fire. We had to get food and shelter. Why would he want to leave? And then, listen, unsolicited, I was thinking that, and then I, I heard the voice of God say, "Nick, why do you always want to leave? You got everything you could ever want with me. Why are you always running? Always running?" And that that stopped me in my tracks. But then I was like, "Well, hey God, let's let's touch base on that in a little bit. I got to go find the stock," <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so I do, I do what any good shepherd does, and I shut the door, and I said, Chewy, you figure it out. Shame on you for running away. You deserve that cold. You deserve that hunger. You deserve that lostness. You answered the call of the wild. Now you find your way home. You figure out. No, I didn't do that. I didn't. I, I, I I got my rod and my staff, I put on my boots and, and hopped in the car, I put it in four wheel and I was like, holy smokes, I need to go find this dog because I'm gonna have to go home and tell my roommate that my dog his dog, his best friend, either either starved to death, froze to death, got mauled to death, or even worse, someone living in the woods kidnapped him. You know? Um, who knows what could happen. So I'm running around. Before I hop in my car, I'm running around the cabin, screaming, screaming, screaming. I'm looking for tracks in the snow. And they don't teach you, as a Russian studies major, how to find tracks in the snow at that point. So I couldn't find him, which is really frustrating. Screaming my lungs out, voice his horse. Heart is pumping. I'm sweating. All this stuff. I hop in the Jeep. And this was my final hope. It's my final hope. There's a loop. There's like a two-mile loop my cabin. All the cabins are on a ridge. I hop in my car. I go down into the ravine between two, two ridges. There's, there's this back road there. And I'm and I'm praying, and I'm looking, and, and I'm looking for a dog that's, that's this big. <laughs> in the middle of the forest. I'm thinking about all the things that happen. I'm just like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. It's that there's death. There's death waiting for him. And I, I go, I go, I don't make it. I go back up the hill, and I'm, I'm on the second half of the loop going back towards my cabin. And I say, Lord, if I don't see him on this stretch, he's toast. He is toast. He's gone. And uh, all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see this little dog running full sprint away from the cabin. Easily easily over half a mile away from the cabin. And to leave our cabin, you have to go down this hill, up a massive hill if you've been there, and then it flattens out. He went down and up and was still running. So I slammed the car in park. I get out and all of a sudden, his head turns up. We lock eyes. And in that moment, he's still like 30 yards out. And, and, And I call out to him and listen, my voice, when I found him, Still running. My voice was not condemnation. My voice was a voice of invitation. I was inviting Chewie. I said, Hey Chewie, Come back. Coffee's on. We got We got a fire going in the cabin, man. This is this is what you want. And see in that moment when I called out to Chewie and I caught him red handed, he had a choice. He had a choice. He could have kept running. Could have kept running. And I would have kept I would have kept chasing him. But he would have kept running deeper and deeper into the forest, but he didn't. He answered the call, he surrendered, and he came back home. And it's awesome. And he's still alive to this day, which is amazing. <laughs> so praise, praise God for that. But here's the deal. This is, this is what I'm getting at, is I think for a lot of us here, when we're talking about sin and temptation and evil and those things that are, that are just that got us in chains, it's easy for us to say, to leave here and think, I got to find my way home. Like Chewy, I just have to find my way home. No, no, no. God never calls you to find your way home. He simply calls you to be found, to surrender, to stop running, to realize that, that your only hope is your shepherd throwing you on his shoulders and bringing you back to the fold of God. That's your only hope. That's our only hope. And so my, my prayer this morning is, uh, is that for those of you who have been running full sprint from your shepherd, and you know you have been, we've all been there, would you know this morning that he's running full sprint after you? He's calling your voice this morning. And he's saying, hey, I'm right here. Whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready to stop running and come have uh, dinner with me, I'm willing to sit down and share a meal with you. That's the heart of your shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, what a good God you are. Thank you, Lord, for... uh, just the fact that you love sheep who are so prone to wander. Thank you for the fact that, that you pursue us as we're running from you. Thank you, God. Spirit, I pray you come in power right now for that those of us here this morning who have answered the call of the enemy to find life and we've only found death and shame and guilt That we'd realize that and recognize we're powerless over that, and that we'd surrender and answer yes to you, who's been with us in that the entire time. You've never left us. You've been you leave the 99 to chase down the one, and you say that when you find the one, the one sheep, you throw that sheep, that wandering sheep, over your shoulder, and you you march it back to the fold of God, and you throw a party and you rejoice. You say the heavens, in Luke 15, you say the heavens are rejoicing over one sinner who stops running and repents. And I pray that this morning, Spirit, that you come and do what only you can do, and that you would deliver us, and you would rescue us from ourselves. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.